Uh, do we bother with a cold open? Nah. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate Christmas. Uh, <laughs> we're not we're not dead. Um, we just took a breather because we got busy. Uh, Mark got busy with work, and I got busy being diagnosed as disabled. So, uh, <laughs> and in many ways, yeah. are they not the same thing? <laughs> uh, no, you can't be busy when you. Yeah, I can't. I can't run upstairs anymore. So I can't do anything in a rush. So I've developed quite a lackadaisical pace. Isn't a, uh, isn't you have to work the disabled diagnosis that you get off the DWP these days? <laughs> yeah, especially because I've, I've got one of those invisible di- uh, disabilities, which is a lot like uh, Wonder Woman's invisible jet in that it's shit. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's just yeah. Because right, okay. Here's the thing: I can't balance too well anymore because I've got like nerve damage in my leg and my arm, and that means I can't. I need a seat on the tube, but I don't look like someone who needs a seat on the tube. So I'm thinking of getting a walking stick that I don't need, so that I don't feel guilty about getting people to get out of their chair for me. You can have a sword in it, but 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 then this is the problem. Then I need to fake a limp as I'm getting off the train and <laughs> walking through the station. Otherwise, I look like a bastard who's got a walking stick just to get a seat on the train. Yeah, <laughs> but then everyone near you who lives near you is definitely going to think that you're a faker. And yeah, I the last time I was at yours, walking back home to the train station, uh, I saw Danny Mays. <laughs> and uh, the actor Danny Mays who's if you don't know he's the guy that Andor kills at the start of Rogue One he's in a lot of British stuff but um, I clocked him Laura was walking beside me and I tried to be as subtle as possible and I said look there's Danny Mays just as he on the other side of the road turned to face me <laughs> and saw me not doing my best to not point but with my eyes go there's Danny Mays <laughs> um, and he sort of smiled back. So he, I think he likes me, but he's not going to like you. He's going to think that you're the guy who's faking it for a seat on the tube. Yeah, that's the problem. And are you are you prepared? He's not. <laughs> I wouldn't call him a British national treasure just yet. But there's a good chance no. he might get there if he ever plays the doctor or something. And he is personally going to think that you're an asshole. Well, the bloke who played um, the actor uh, who played Chris Finch in The Office uh, is a member of my gym. As well, and I'm I'm able-bodied enough to go to the gym. But if he then sees me walking around with a cane, yeah, then like he'll probably think I'm more of a prick than Gervais. Uh, almost certainly. Yeah, which is something you never want to be. You never want to be the biggest prick in the room when Gervais is there, unless you're Piers Morgan, in which case it's your goal. Uh, 
So how you been? Anyway, how's 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 Scotland and everything? Yeah, it's all it's all still happening. Been, been told you've got to stay. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> Not a lot to report, man. I guess I guess your your Christmas present really for this episode, other than the extended commentary. It's just that I'm not I'm not going to riff five minutes moaning about the things that I've been up to. I've not really done a whole lot, to be honest. I um, started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 again. I can't. I, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a wonderful technical feat, but I just kind of get the impression that every time I sit down to play it, and I'm not going to sink eight hours into doing some pointless busy work, the game is just vaguely disappointed with me. Like, oh, see, I'm all about the busy work. But it's like you go fish, yeah, and then you get shot by bandits, and it's like, well, it's a four-day ride out to where you were. It's like, well, great. <laughs> I've decided because in Red Dead Redemption Two, there's like an honor system where if you play as quite a good-mannered murderous cowboy, you get bonuses, <laughs> and if you play as a bad-mannered murderous cowboy, you get yeah. fewer bonuses, and people don't like you. And if you're a good guy, they'll give you discounts in shops and things. Uh, and I've I I cannot play a video game with a morality system as a bad person. Like I just I just physically can't. It makes me uncomfortable to do that. Except for The Witcher Three, where <laughs> because I feel like it's part of his character. I'll have someone come up to me and go, "Oh my god, my my only child. I had seven kids. This is the kind of shit you get in The Witcher Three. <laughs> I had seven kids. Six of them have been systematically killed over the last eight years by witches. My last kid, my last baby." <laughs> has been kidnapped by a griffin. You, professional monster hunter Geralt, can you go and get him? I have I have eight pieces of gold. And the best thing about The Witcher 3, the mechanic and the, and the mechanic... The, the Witcher 3 is a masterpiece on all mechanical levels, but the best mechanic in The Witcher 3 is when someone desperately asks you for help and says that this is all the money you have, you can ask them for more money. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll do it. And they won't be happy about it, but they'll find a way to scrounge it up. <laughs> I've I've tried to start The Witcher Three on like about um, seven or eight occasions, and I'm just really bad at The Witcher Three combat. So what that means is that, from my perspective, as after every, I know to everybody else, Geralt is this unstoppable badass, but to me, he's just someone who's all mouth, no trousers, because he likes to give it the big one, and then I walk into, and then I walk through the woods and get killed by a bandit. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck you, Geralt. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a mate oh, who loves the crafting system in it, not just for the weapons, yeah. but I think for the clothes as well. It's been a while since I played it, and he used to hate that the main story would take up so much time he could be spending as a world traveling trouser salesman. <laughs> okay, I've got a question for you. In a game that has got a morality system, what is your most evil thing you've you've ever done? Because because my one is uh, in Fallout Three. There is a uh, point where at the if you go to Rivet City, which is the city that's on a big boat, um, uh, and you go up to the top, there's a man who's uh, thinking about killing himself, and you can either if you're good, you can talk him out of it, right? Um, and if you're evil, you can talk him into jumping. And if you're me, what you could do is talk him out of doing it, and then push him. <laughs> um. I don't really know because because I, I find it difficult. Even games in like Mass Effect, where 
you're not necessarily doing bad things, you're just doing renegade things, so you just make your cap your, your character a bit more like Han Solo than Captain Kirk. And I just yeah, I just yeah. and some people will find this difficult to believe. I hate being rude to people. because um, I, I don't like their reactions. So I I'm just always whenever it gives you the choice to press a button, I'm just like, no, oh, no, I'll be a nice guy. It's the problem is it's when you ask when you ask me if I want to be nice or bad, and there are no consequences to my actions, the answer is, yeah, I'm going to probably go out and be, be a good person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm only not a good person in my real life because it has a physical cost attached to it that I'm not willing to pay. In Red, in Red Dead Redemption <laughs> 2, which is a, a game set, obviously, in the cowboy times, I was like, you know what? This time through... I'm going to play it a bit bad. Um, I'm going to rob people's houses. <laughs> and the first house that I tried to rob, because it's not like in Grand Theft Auto where the houses are all close together. Because it's out in the plains, all the houses are really far apart and you rob farmhouses. Uh, and I found this farmhouse um, with a, it, one of the little Easter eggs is that you can go into the cow shed and there's a, a dead cow next to a dead body and the dead body has his trousers down. But... Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to rob this house. So I, I robbed the house. Um, one of the dogs heard me. I woke up the dog, and then I just killed an entire family. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Uh, well, this is this is the way it's going to go. All right, fine. Because <laughs> the thing is, right, they, they, you do get a lot of benefits to being nice to people, which is that people will regard you as a nice guy. But I don't really care about that, because I've played that before. And... Um, <laughs> You don't get discounts in the shops, which is fine because I'm really good at the Red Dead Redemption poker mini game. Oh yeah, so am I. It, basically, if you put a poker mini game in your video game, you've essentially given me the infinite money cheat. Yeah, because I would just I, I've I've sat for six straight days in the the casino in town and just like at like people are leaving, going about their day, having their life, and then coming back in, and then I'm taking all of their money again. <laughs> I had a glitch once. Where one of the guys that sat down at the poker table, because what happens is you sit down and then throughout the game you'll like wipe other non-player characters out and they'll leave and someone will come in. And this guy came in and it was in San Denis, so it was the posh poker game, and he was smoking a cigar. And the animation that plays when a character smokes a cigar is that they finish it and then they throw it away. <laughs> but because he sat down to poker, the game couldn't really figure out what to do with him. So he would just keep whipping out cigars. And rather than throwing them away straight in front of him, which he does when he's out in the street, he literally just threw it straight at my character. So I sat there for hours getting decent hands and this guy just flicking cigars at me <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and he wasn't happy. No. Fair enough. Taking all his money off. But yeah, it's amazing because in the game, because a big part of the game is that you are part of like a, almost like a nomadic, like travelling camp. Um, and yeah, of, the, of bastards, that's it as well. Yeah, travelling camp of bastards. And the bastards are always like, oh man, we're running out of money. We have to, you know, we got to steal to survive. And any money that you get, the camp gets a cut and you have to go and donate it. And one of the weirdest things that they implemented is they, they put in a ledger so that you can see how much money people have given to the camp. Um, yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know why they put this in because none of the other characters are donating anything. You go down the list of the ledger and it's like, uh, Molly gave uh, $2.50 Bill $1.16 uh, Pearson, Deer Carcass and then Arthur, which is your character the person you play, <laughs> 300 bucks 
Uh, <laughs> Arthur, 225 bucks. Uh, Dutch, $1.25. Arthur, a, 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 an authentic copy of the Declaration of Independence. Like, and they're constantly going, oh my God, we're so poor, we're so poor. And then I am standing there going, I just donated three grand to use that I won off some guy that kept throwing cigars at me. So I don't know what... I, I, I know obviously the game has to be diegetic, right? But it's like, come on, man. This is, like, I don't buy that I'm not that I'm poor. Yeah, it's like, oh, we're all poor and terrible. It's, well, well, I've got enough money to buy like a mansion because I was, I just bought all the clothes <laughs> yeah. in the shop just because I was bored. <laughs> uh, so, and, I, and there's this big nice mansion out that was filled with slave owning, previously slave owning racists, and I killed all of them so we could live there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and my morality went up. So you better believe I killed all of them and then robbed their house. Don't even try to go quietly. <laughs> so, um. Star Trek. The motion picture. The motion picture. Yeah. I, so for years, I have heard that this film is rubbish. And this is the one that's boring, and this is the one you can safely skip, and this is the one that they're surprised the Star Trek franchise even managed to survive this, and this is all I've heard for years. This is the start of the all the odd-numbered Star Trek films are terrible, etc 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 so i've put it off i've always put it off i watched the star trek movies or some of them anyway before i was even a star trek fan and even i knew to start at the rafa can so i sat down i watched star trek the motion picture and eddie i loved star trek the motion picture i think i might love this one more than any of the other ones i think i'm i'm to say i prefer it to wrath of khan is a very subjective I recognise that Wrath of Khan is a better film. I this uh, what an, it, 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 it was like an experience I've never had. I adore this film, and I'm and I'm gonna and I'm gonna use that as a preface because I am gonna talk a lot of shit about this film. Oh yeah, no. So I, I like I've got vague recollections of I think seeing this movie, but I think it was when I was like about eleven, when I was like, oh, there are Star Trek movies. And like I, I saw this, and like this is not a movie an eleven-year-old should watch no. under any circumstances for so many reasons. So I was like, you, know, I was kind of like have this memory that Star Trek, the motion feature, is the bad one. And then I came to come see it, and I'm like, this is, it's genuinely fascinating on the on two levels. One, as a film, it's fascinating. That's that how it's made, like decisions that were done. But also, just like the decision making process behind making this film, I am, I would love to have been in the room. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, so like, this is 1979, this comes out. Um, so it's 10 years after sort of the franchise has been a big thing. And, and weirdly, there is a perfect blueprint of how you bring back a long dead like franchise that's not been around for about 10 years with a major uh, film release and that blueprint is the 2009 Star Trek movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not this. No. But what I find fascinating about it is no one's ever done this before. Yeah. Like nobody had ever been like oh there wasn't any time prior to this that something that was a decade old like came back and some new creative people and it's just so weird to me what they thought was important to include, yeah, and what they didn't think was important to include. So the so I, I looked into this a little bit, and 
Star Trek, when it first aired, was sort of moderately popular, obviously compared to even to obviously compared to what it is today, but even compared to how it was viewed in like the 1970s. So Star Trek, yeah. when it first aired, um, they kept changing the time slot. Uh, for season three, they put it in something called the Friday night slot of death, which I think is 10 p.m. on a Friday, which is in America. No one is watching television. That's where you put a show that you don't want to pay for anymore to, that's still popular to die. Um, yeah. But the story apparently goes that there was a... So in order for a TV show at that time to be syndicated, it had to run for four seasons, which is usually 100 episodes. Then... Yeah. But because Star Trek, because some people were huge into Star Trek, there was a guy who worked at like a local station in Boston, and he was a huge Trekkie, and he just went, I'll buy the syndication rights, even though it's not technically syndication length. So he bought them on the cheap, and then decided to show them every day at like 7pm or 6pm. So immediately everyone's like, oh, what this Star Trek's incredible. That's when Star Trek became really popular. Was on reruns. Yeah, yeah. So basically, anyone who became a Star Trek fan from the sixties to the seventies more likely became a fan on reruns than they did watching the original airings, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh my god, this has huge ratings!" Other local stations around the country started buying it. Yeah, and that's when you get like the fact that it was on every day because they were showing it like daily meant that it like pre VCR pre-home cinema viewing of any any way that you would still plenty of people had seen all of star trek multiple times yeah like they'd be like go, go around oh this is the one with the gorn you know and like get really into it so it had this weird following that nobody else had yeah and the, i feel like they were two years after the release of star wars They've got this science fiction movie they're trying to make, and they—I think they—they they could have done what all movies have tried to do since Star Wars, which was be Star Wars. Um, and then they, or they went, no, 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 we got to differentiate ourselves somehow. So what if instead of Star Wars, we're two thousand and one, a space odyssey? I, <laughs> I disagree slightly. I don't think it's fair. And I mean that Star Wars versus Star Trek is a is a is a dumb argument for kids, right? But yeah. it's I don't think it's fair to examine Star Trek the motion picture and not acknowledge that it's a direct response to Star Wars. I don't think they wanted to do two thousand eight uh, two thousand one. I think that they wanted to do Star Wars. But they just but Star Wars. But the problem is they, that Gene Roddenberry was in charge, and he was like, "Yeah, this is my Star Wars. I'm going to make it fucking boring and slow <laughs> and deliberate and methodical." Because do you know what it, it's? Do you know what it smacked off to me? So I think we've talked about it on this podcast before. Um, Laura is a big fan of Planet of the Apes, and I'd never really seen it. So we sat down to watch yeah. the what 1967, 66, whatever the, the, the original Planet yeah. of the Apes film. And I was watching it, and I was like, I, I get why people went mental for this, but at the same time, <laughs> this just proves to me that when Star Wars must have blown people's fucking minds. <laughs> like no wonder it was the biggest film ever. Like Star Wars must have fucking blown people's tits off. 
compared yeah, to like this. when your big special effects scene, like your big oh special effects, this is the big action scene is we're going to put two people in monkey suits on horses yeah. and drag Charles and Hester along through the net, right? Versus right, okay, we've got twenty eight spaceships. Yeah, <laughs> they're all firing lasers at each other. Like that, it's yeah, it's just it's not even different. That. It's like the fast paced storytelling. Star yeah. Trek the motion picture is so slow like it's it's two hours and 15 odd minutes long and there is I reckon maybe 90 minutes of actual story in there oh it's it's a Star Trek episode yeah you could do this as an original series episode no problem well it was originally written as the two part or opening for phase two. Oh, that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense um one thing I do think as well is when you say it's like it's you, you, you when it's easy to go oh 2001 Space Odyssey but that's a lot of people don't realise that like 2001 A Space Odyssey isn't like an outlier for like science fiction all science fiction in the 60s yeah and 70s was like what's Silent Running um it's a movie about a man trying to keep a tree alive in space yeah and it's glorious and and it was a lot, a lot, a lot of, no, we spent a lot of money on this miniature spaceship. We're going to show all of it, and we can't like have a camera swoop through it or anything. So we're just going to like hold on it as it goes past for ten minutes. Oh yeah, oh they they, like, they were like we have spent five million dollars on this model of the Enterprise, and you are going to get we are going to get every cent out of that. <laughs> Interestingly enough. Uh, Vija, the, the ship that turns up in, in this, um, I, I, I did some research. Third biggest starship, spaceship, in like fiction. Uh, ah. uh, it's, it's it's actually bigger than like the the Warhammer forty k ones that are a city. They're like they're like five kilometers long. Vija's ten uh, kilometers long. It is only there is only two spa- things that fall under the classification of spaceship that are bigger than it. And they are the mothership from Independence Day. Yep, makes sense. And the Death Star. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is bigger than the the whale probe. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, the whale probe is 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 technically like three kilometers shorter than Vija. Shit. So <laughs> it's so start looks so. Next, next gen is is pretty action packed. The the original series is pretty action packed, but and I, I know we keep harping on it, but but the motion picture is super slow. But yeah, I like as you say that was equivalent to the sci fi movies of the day. But that like I don't think it's even fair to call it the aesthetic of it. But the aesthetic of everything being super slow and really deliberate and like the slow moving spaceships, that's like. I would describe that as like ASMR for my eyes. Yeah, like it's yeah, it's... it's so cool, and it's why. Because I, I don't know how we're gonna how we're gonna structure this. I think we're just gonna whack on with different bits. Because whatever, man. If you've watched this, if you watched this, if you've not watched it, who cares? But it's it's why I think a big thing that can people people complain about is that in this the Starfleet uniforms are different, and they're all really muted in really boring colours and like greys. And light browns and like very very saturated or oh, uh, undersaturated gold. I, I don't think this movie would have worked if they were wearing the original uniform. If they were wearing the colourful stuff. No, yeah, but it's but it's also interesting that like like I say, 
this was the first time this had been done. Like, and it's weird to see that when they were going, like they were sat around a table at some point and go, "What makes Star Trek?" Yeah, and and no point did any of them go, "Oh, the uniforms." Yeah, yeah. Uh, or like, like that. Like, they they clearly wrote down what Star Trek is about, and didn't care too much about like the fan service side of things, which is, oh, it is the way to go. I completely under, I, I completely appreciate that. Like, there's world building and interesting things if you're a Star Trek fan that are in this, but it's in service of the story they want to tell and the movie they want to make. Yeah, like. Um, I, I love uh, that you see. Uh, it, that was an interesting question for you. Okay. Okay. Klingon speaking Klingon wasn't really a thing in the original series. That was more invented in the movies. But we also have Vulcans speaking Vulcan in this movie for more than we do Klingons speaking Klingon. And yet, no nerd knows Vulcan. Like, it's not a language you can learn. So I have somewhat looked into this in the past. So the Klingon language used in this isn't the Klingon language as we know it. The Klingon language, I believe, was created by a linguist for the search for Spock. Right, okay. (laughs) So theoretically, you couldn't learn this one and I wonder if maybe Vulcan is the same I wonder if the only times we've ever seen Vulcan used it's just gibberish yeah yeah no so like um, I love the bits on Vulcan that we do get um, that like so uh, so it, Spock is going to di- to rid himself of all emotion um, uh, and apparently that means he's only going to embrace logic and the most logical thing is to not have a get a haircut <laughs> uh, and then well, why would you? It's it's going to keep growing. Of course, that's logical. <laughs> uh, and then um, he gets distracted. So I didn't know at first whether it was like there's. It happened to be a sound effect. So I was like, oh, he's been distracted by the space bongs. And then later on, it turns out that no, canonically, that did happen. Um, he felt the psychic presence of Vija. Um, because it, yes, because because he's a person, but then none of the other people feel it. So is it because yeah. of his unique? Half Vulcan, half human physiology? Possibly. Or did they just uh, need a reason for Leonard Nimoy to look sad through this whole film? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because he's... Um, but I think he puts all of the characters, like... The, so, the, 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 when I say all of the characters, I mean Kirk, McCoy and Spock. Ah. <laughs> um, like, the, the other characters out there, they're important parts of Star Trek. I'm not going to deny that but they are the supporting cast for those three characters. And you are telling the interesting story of Kirk trying, taking back command after he's been an admiral. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's they've got like a, a bloke who was captain who he just basically demotes. <laughs> uh, which is just is Kirk being a dick. Yeah, um, and he even specifically... So he... So Kirk, Kirk shows up and he says, look, there's this problem that's coming to Earth. I need to be on. Char- I need to be in charge of the Enterprise because it's my ship, essentially, and I know how I'm going to solve it. So he goes on. He pulls aside Captain Decker and says, "Listen, here's the deal. I'm in charge, right? I'm taking the centre seat. This is Kurt's. Do- this is Kurt's week, all right? Kirk's day. They're gonna. They're gonna. They're gonna do a big parade about me. 
Um, and then he says, oh, and by the way, just for the duration of this uh, trip, you're not only not going to be the acting captain, but we're actively demoting you to commander so that people will call yeah. you commander, which is like, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But also, that's horrible. Why don't you just leave him be the captain and then they can refer to Kirk as admiral? Yeah, it's, it's only... It, the, it, there's two reasons. One is, like, from a dialogue perspective, they want people to call Kirk the captain. Fine, I get that. But the other perspective is that just... It's important to know, Kirk's kind of a dick throughout this entire movie. Yeah. Um, and then you've got a plot line with, like, they don't know whether Spock can be trusted. Yeah. Because he's, like, he's been away. Or can he? Or is he going to be? Or is he going to do something silly? And meanwhile... Um, and all that's been going on with McCoy is that he's been growing a beard and wearing a leisure suit. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, and I I love the thing of... Uh, when it's... Because there's a transporter accident because the V'ger signal <laughs> yeah. is, is messing up the transporter. Uh, and we, we go to one of the, one of the randos... One of the one of the one of the one of the the young chief O'Briens in the transporter room runs into Kirk and says, "Listen, for the last five members of the crew are here, uh, but there's one guy that's refusing to step in a transporter." And Kirk just smarts and goes, "I'll I'll I'll get him. Don't worry." Um, and then Bones and oh my god, they were so proud of that new transport effect, weren't they? They <laughs> they held on that. Um, and Bones shows up and he's got a beard and he, and immediately. It's just a horrible, cantankerous old fuck who's like, <laughs> I didn't even volunteer for this. They, they, <laughs> they, they were like, oh, there's this policy of re-enlistment. Basically, I got drafted on this mission, Jim. Why the fuck am I here? And then we as the audience are like, of course you're here, Bones. You, you, you have to be here. This, this film doesn't work if we, if we don't have the trifecta of Bones, Kirk and Spock. But then I feel that one of the ways that it falls down is that Spock never really turns back into old Spock. It's like, yeah, we shouldn't yeah. we shouldn't trust him. He's being really weird. He's not being the old Spock. <laughs> He's not giving Bones any shit. It's I, I like they they, they they have the discussion about whether or not Spock can be trusted. And that I wanna say immediately uh Spock does some untrustworthy stuff. And when I say immediately, I mean twenty minutes later but in that 20 minute time period nothing else of significance happens no. <laughs> um yeah cuz so so i do like that the, the decker character cuz like i feel like having somebody who's pissed off that kirk's taken over and also is like as he says he's like no we've completely reoutfitted the enterprise you don't know the layout of this ship or its capabilities he literally he figuratively literally says to kirk this isn't your daddy's enterprise yeah, <laughs> this isn't your dad's Star Trek, right? We've 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 changed this. We saw Star Wars. We saw what Star Wars was doing, and we decided to do Star Wars Enterprise. And you don't know what you're doing. And Kirk, to Decker's credit, Decker is one hundred percent right about that on every single count. Kirk never yeah. makes the right decision in this film. Kirk tries to take them to warp when the warp core isn't ready. So what happens is everything goes slow-mo yep. and then they're going to hit a, an asteroid and then he says, let's shoot the asteroid with phasers and then Decker says, no, don't do that. Use a torpedo because <laughs> if you do the phasers, you'll create a black hole and rip the ship to... Also, I want to... Okay, I've got to address it, okay? This mo- Right, this movie doesn't know what black holes are, Mark, <laughs> and I need to discuss that, right? 
Vija is supposed. So the, the thing of this is that a ship that comes back is coming to Earth, and at the end of the movie, you find out that the middle of it is one of the Voyager probes. It's been out of space for millions of years, right? Except it's not. It couldn't possibly, right? Have you any idea how nearby the Voyager probes will be by the time the Enterprise goes out into space? <laughs> and they won't even be at the next star. But apparently they went around what are what we used to call black holes. Right. Stephen Hawking had published his research on what black holes are, right? In nineteen seventy. Okay, they had nine years to maybe crack a book. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and right, Vija didn't go into a black hole, get spun off to the other side of the galaxy, and then become a super intelligent robot machine that was going to come back and destroy the Earth for no reason. Uh... I think, and as well, because they do mention wormholes in that yeah. weird slow-mo, that 17-minute sequence when they're in slow motion. <laughs> and, yes. well, the thing is, right, if you because I listen to a lot of podcasts about space, Back in the olden days, people used to say I've read a lot of books about space, but I'm not. I'm not going to get high up on airs or anything. I've listened to a lot of podcasts <laughs> about space, and yeah. what I've discerned about black holes is that they say, "Yeah, we sort of know a little bit about black holes," and then someone will inevitably say, "If you go into a black hole, is it possible you could come out the other side?" And scientists now will just say, "Sure, why not?" I we. <laughs> there is no way for us to find out. So whatever. No. If, if you think that that might happen. What is it, Kit Thomas, the guy who designed all the black hole stuff for Interstellar's probably like, sure, you might end up in an infinite fifth dimensional library. Why not? <laughs> yeah, we don't know. We don't know what's in black holes. Because the thing about them is, right, they're black. Yeah. Uh, which means we can't see. Can't get, out, uh, can't get in them, can't get out of them. Yeah. 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 Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. Nah. Uh, it's it's like it's not like the EU. It is like the UK. Uh, <laughs> yeah, stuck in a black hole of sadness. Yeah, yeah. The only way into a black hole is in a dinghy. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I quite like this Decker guy. Um, I wasn't really sure how yeah. I would take him at first because obviously, yeah. as a Star Trek fan, I'm like, yeah, Kirk, take charge of this situation. And uh, and you know go for it and, and 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 show them how it's done. But this Decker guy, I'm like this guy knows. He seems to be making all the right decisions. And then at one point, he even suggests doing something else. Like Kirk says, let's send out a message of friendship. And he says, well, no, let's put up deflector shields. And Kirk gives him shit about it. And he turns around and says, I'm your executive officer. It is my job to suggest alternatives to the things that you want to do. Like that's the only reason I'm here. Yeah, yeah. You could have let I, I could have. I'm literally only here for that purpose. And if you die, which you seem pretty determined to do, <laughs> I get to take over control of what is again, frankly, my ship. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> at that point, is the first thing that he does when Kurt, Kurt's dead and they're all looking at his corpse. Is Decker just go? Uh, Commander Decker here. Computer says yes. And he goes, please reinstate myself to captain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get this boat home. <laughs> let's, uh, in addition to Decker, there is another character I feel we have to discuss, which is uh, a Delton, uh, Ilya, yep. who arrives on the Enterprise, walks onto the the, the, de- the, 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 the she walks onto the bridge. She's a bridge officer, apparently. And I would say... Like she's introduced, she has maybe four lines of dialogue, 
and then she makes it clear that she's not going to fuck her. Right? That's, yeah. it's, she brings up that she's got... I had to look this up. So she brings up that she has a, taken a vow of celibacy. Um, and this is the, what I'm about to tell you, Mark, is I looked this up on, on, like a, on the, 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 the memory alpha, the like Star Trek wiki. And what I'm about to tell you is the most Gene Roddenberry thing you will ever hear. Right. So, Delton's take a vow of celibacy when they work on board a Starfleet vessel because Deltons release pheromones which makes them so sexy that if there is a chance anybody will have sex with them, they'd be too distracted from their duties. <laughs> to, to continue with Jeez. Yeah, yeah. And at no point does she ever even become frozen, so... I, I, was Gene just really holding back on all of his fetishes on this one character? No, no, she does. Is it because his wife was there? She exists entirely to do a classic seventies Star Trek, like well, science fiction thing of be the uh, the romantic lead's love interest who is dead, and then a version of her is brought back by something weird and spacey. Yeah. Uh, so he's emotionally manipulated into it. Into like, that's that's in like all for some reason that was really big part of like all seventies and sixties sci-fi. It happened frequently enough that, it, that you need to be on if you're ever in space, right? And everybody's dressed slightly too sexy, sexy uh, for you. Then keep an eye out for that trope. Um, I want to say something about this as well. I think that it is weird to see what I have described in my note as um, halfway Kirk. Um, I'm used to seeing young Kirk from the original series. I'm used to seeing Kirk from the movies, like older. Well, this is kind of like mid midpoint Kirk. It only exists for this one movie that he's like, you know, like middle aged. I that he's old. I wrote three <laughs> notes about this film while I was watching it. Right, one of them is. Decker seems to be, pr- and then I stopped. I imagine that was going to be like pretty on the ball or something. The other note is, is that the guy from Blazing Saddles? Because I think the main the main lad, is it, what was his, the guy's name from Blazing Saddles? Con- Conrad Summerall? Anyway. I know you, yeah. the main The main lad, uh, I thought he was in it, I don't think it is him. And then the last note is, this is like a film, this is like a film Kirk would make about himself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, this was never actually Star Trek uniforms. It's just in in this is Kirk's memoir uh, version of this, where everyone's just dressed too damn sexy. Uh, <laughs> and also, um, he's the only person that gets one that differentiates himself from all the other characters on screen, so you can always <laughs> tell what it's him. All right, there are some, some firsts in this movie I want to discuss. Uh, first, Klingon forehead bumps. Yep, that's right, yeah. Uh, because that never got that in the original series. Uh, first time seeing Starfleet HQ um, yeah. down in San Francisco. Uh, first appearance of that never shows up in any previous previous ones. And also, just Bones with a beard. Uh, <laughs> I love I love Bones when he's like, there's a thing in space. And he's like, how comes everything we don't understand is a thing? Yeah. It's like, that's quite forward thinking for you, Bones, yeah, no. regularly calls Spock a thing, <laughs> especially when he probably turned around and called the transporter chief like a racial slur immediately afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> there's some 
okay, well, so one thing I want to say about the Act 2 plays Decker, because I like the character. Um, did you think that sometimes in, like, the, I'm going to blame this on the direction more than anything else, that Decker looked a bit simple? Um, like, had a sort of vacant expression and kind of was staring off at while, like, I feel like when the, the scenes where he didn't have dialogue, like, the director just went, just stand there and didn't, like, tell him to react or do anything. I think his direction was, I want you to look as confused at what Kirk is doing as you imagine your character would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. I think, yeah, I, I agree. He he did look a bit... In, in Glasgow, we have a word for it, glake it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a not, yeah, that fits. Yeah. That's, a, that's a word that sounds like what it means. Oh, Captain Decker, <laughs> eh? Standing over there, that glakit look on your face. What should we do? There's a there's a big there's a big space thing. And then Bones is like, you can't say that anymore, mate. <laughs> um, I have a problem with Vija, the 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 creature. So so I don't think we've said what it is. Um, there's a big spaceship coming to Earth, and it's sending out um, uh, like it's broadcasting something that's gonna kill everything on earth is that the thing isn't it so it's um, a it's a it's a cloud it's a big cloud in space right your, yeah. your classic galactus and there's obviously something in the center of the cloud but anything that gets too close to the cloud is attacked if if it tries to defend itself is attacked by like some sort of energy that just breaks it down just makes it cease to exist yeah and so no one really knows how to do with it, but but everyone just assumes well there has to be something at the center of the cloud. Hopefully that thing can be reasoned with, because they can't figure out why it seems to be on a direct course for Earth. Yeah, um, and it turns out that the reason is is because it's a Voyager space probe that was supposed to gather information, and then it's now trying to return back to Earth and uh, give this information. Uh, so all it's doing is what's actually broadcasting is is asking. For like a transmission back, so it's just it's just asking questions, mate. Yeah, it's just asking questions. It doesn't. They're not harmful. It's not trying to abandon. It's just it's just it's just asking questions. It just wants to clarify. It's got sunglasses on in its profile. Pic. <laughs> yeah, drives a car. Yeah, took a picture in the car of the vo- in, the, in the, the front bit of the Voyager Six spaceboat. But yeah, so right. we 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 learned that it, it got to it fell through the black hole and ended up on up on planet. A fucking planet robot. Yeah, what's what's the name of the Transformers planet? Energon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cybertron. Uh, right. Which they really, they really knew what they were calling it then when they, when they when they came up with that those robots. So it ends up on Cybertron. <laughs> it finds these living machines, and they're like, "Oh wow, this is a god from the stars." It then the living machines then look into it and realize that its only purpose is to find information and specifically return that information to its creator so they then make it take in so much information that it becomes sentient and so its one goal is to return the information to the creator who obviously hundreds of years later is now dead so when it gets to earth and it starts sending out that transmission code and it obviously needs a code to tell it yep that's us we're here we're we're listening press a button give us the information but no one knows what that code is because those people are all stone dead 
Yeah, and also they don't know that it's like a NASA probe. And then when yeah. they find out, they're like, oh, just broadcast it back. And then it's a, oh, it can't accept the broadcast because the bit's broken. Yeah. Um, Decker, do you want to space fuck it? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> so the so the, the big the big the, the Star Trekiness of it all the, the 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 big question of it all is that Viger has apparently absorbed all of the information that it possibly can about every part of life, but it wants to know more. It wants to know what its purpose is, and it can understand that it doesn't really have a purpose other than being itself because it's a machine and it needs to keep constantly getting better and evolving so what they need to do at the end because it's already it's already taken over the body of the of the theramon chick right Aaliyah. yeah um who clearly her species has no creativity whatsoever it needs to absorb a human being so that it understands that yes human beings who we we created you but we ourselves are always looking for meaning like we like ideas of like higher planes of this is a thing that spock says human ideas of things like higher planes of existence or uh or or things that exist outside of our imagination it's weird because in Star Trek they have demonstrable evidence of that stuff, but the, <laughs> yeah. but Spock says it's impossible to explain that to a machine that only understands logic. So they essentially need to absorb a human to give Vija imagination. Yeah, is how the movie ends. And and Decker, who is. It's very important to note the only person who's in this room who isn't a main member of the original series cast. <laughs> yeah, because the other one is already dead. She is the yeah. ninja. Yeah. Is that is maybe that's why they changed the uniforms? Is going to go, well, everyone, the minute where people realise Decker's the only one in red. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've yeah. given away the ending of the... Because they do it at the end, like, Kirk's like, put them down as deceased. And then he's like, no, 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 don't put them down as deceased. Put them down as missing. Because they might be back. At some point, yep. But it's it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting through point of everything Gene Roddenberry specifically had a hand in, because obviously in original Trek you've got Spock, yeah, as like this logical counterpoint to emotion. Then you have this, but then you also have like the story of Vija trying to find meaning is essentially Data's entire arc from Next Generation, yeah. So it's interesting that he that they he, this seemed to be a bit of a, a, a re, like returning obsession for Roddenberry. And one thing I do need to praise Roddenberry about this um, uh, movie is um, that he did have the common sense to not direct it. Uh, <laughs> I get somebody because did you watch a what version of this did you watch? Because I watched the the, the new upresed um, like. HD restoration. Is it is that one there. the director's cut? Yes, yes. It I is. didn't watch the director's cut. I watched the theatrical version, which, from what I understand, is even longer. It, it is even longer, and I tried to uh, watch the original cut, but it was a badly pirated version. Uh, and it's like right Maybe down it was to the director's like, cut. I saw they've just used um, the like um, just up down to the fact they've got like a Klingon and a Vulcan font. Uh, for like the subtitles rather than just subtitles turn up um, like little touches like that are quite liked um, we haven't mentioned that when Vija this again 
10 kilometer wide, like long, one of the largest spaceships ever created, which is entirely a computer brain at the middle of a, a, a huge energy crowd, which apparently has, um, I did check this, um, uh, 12th power energy. I don't know what that is, um, but it's mentioned. Spock does mind meld with it, which I've only written down as Spock, you mad bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was something I was I was gonna I was gonna bring up earlier. I, I saw a great post on Tumblr that I'm now just gonna read right, and it was uh, it's it's got it's got the four pictures, and in the top left it says how casual Star Trek fans think Jim T Kirk is, and it's like a dude like a sexy model with his top off, and then next it says how James T Kirk actually is, and it's just a picture of a nerd. Underneath, it says the same, but the opposite for Picard. How they think Picard is a big nerd, <laughs> and how Picard really is, is just a sex machine. It says, James T. Kirk, graduated in the top 4% of his year, bullied by the jocks, is a history nerd, was so much of a teacher's pet that he cheated on an exam and was commended by it, commended for it, was specifically referred to as a stack of books with legs. Jean-Luc Picard spent all his free time drinking in pubs and playing billiards, Broke more hearts than he can remember. Started a bar fight that ended in him getting stabbed in the heart. Likes to explore dangerous ruins of ancient civilizations for fun. And wouldn't he even have become a starship captain if he wasn't this much of a hothead? Then the next thing down that I really like, it says, it's actually a problem a first officer, really. Jim Kirk seems like a wild man because he's standing next to calm, logical Spock. Meanwhile, Picard seems stately and dignified because he's standing next to Will. Any alien physiology is bangable if you just put some thought into it, Riker. And it says, of course, then we get to the next layer, which is that Spock is the dude who told the Vulcan Size Academy to fuck itself while Riker plays the trombone. (laughs) Yeah, you don't, like, I don't think people appreciate enough how much the, like, crew of the original Enterprise are very specifically a bunch of insane maniacs. Yeah. Like um <laughs> like like Bones is like Bones is back now because he's been drafted. Bones stays on the Enterprise now for another fucking twenty years. Um for no other reason other than oh I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. What else have I got going on? Did it at the Bones um, Ranch, my wife left me. Um oh this is the only movie with Majel Roddenberry. Uh, Nurse Chapel turns up. She's now an MD. She's Doctor Chapel, and I only want to bring this up because um, she has two lines of dialogue, and one of them is delivered from off-screen. <laughs> and for a moment, I thought it was the ship's computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because even when giving a proper acting performance, Magel Roddenberry sounds like a lifeless machine. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, um I'm not saying that Luxana Troy is just she's, just she's playing herself. She's clearly just playing herself, and that's why I don't like her. <laughs> should we? I mean, I mean, obviously we should at some point talk about what the movie wanted us to talk about, what the movie wanted us to see, which is the visual effects. Yeah, yeah, they are amazing. I think forty odd years later, I still say this is one of the most spectacular-looking films ever made. This is that it's a feast for the eyes. Yeah, and especially when you consider that it's not CG. Like, yeah, yeah I see uh, like the Enterprise in a new Star Trek now, and I'm like, oh, okay, see, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just press the button. Yeah, uh, no, I know, I know it's harder. I know it's harder. I'm not being an asshole, but it is easier than <laughs> it's not just pressing a button, but it is easier than like you know. 
building a fucking massive yeah. fucking model of the Enterprise and then just filming it. <laughs> there's a there's a concept that Adam Savage talks about quite a lot uh, that's particularly well known and famed among spaceship designers, especially spaceship model designers, and it's something called the Greebly, right? Now, when you uh, design like an X-Wing or design a new starship for the Star Wars, the, the, the Star Wars, as my grand puts it, um, <laughs> what, what you do, right, is, uh, is you put the Star Treks, is, you, is you, you, you build a basic model, usually out of things from other model kits, right? So you just get mm-hmm. bash, bash, kit bash it all together and be like, there's a new thing. But there's uh, in model kits, obviously you get the little things that are like the uh, the the gearbox in a car that's like a little square shape, and you think, oh, I'll just I'll just whack that on the on the bridge, or I'll whack that on the top of this, and that's called a greebly, which is just a thing that really has no purpose that they just thought looked interesting to cut out the like mm. to, to, to kind of cut apart the shape of of the silhouette so that it didn't look too similar. There's actually something called the universal greebly. Which is when you know it, you will see it on every ship. Every Star Wars ship has this one little shape on it uh, that I think they now actually make separately. But uh, when you see the Klingon ships at the very start, and you see them for a long time, they spent a long time on these models, and you, my friend, are going to be looking at them in an unbroken shot for two and a half minutes. And <laughs> just the, just the over designed nature of like the way that they've stuck so many things on the top of it that are clearly serve no purpose whatsoever, other than to make it look like yeah, this is a thing that people would actually build. It's just it's just astounding. Yeah, and then the alternative is the the Enterprise where they've gone. No, they worked really hard to make this sleek. Yeah, uh, and like I love the there's a, a beautiful like they, they 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 set up that the transporters are having problems, and that's mainly as a setup for one. We want to like it's basically a setup for making you have an excuse to have these shots, and so Kirk is going on board with Scotty in a little um, a little a shuttle, van. a, a yeah, space van. Uh, space van uh, and there's a moment where they do like a nice composite shot where you see a slightly flat Kirk yeah. uh, like in the window looking like he's on Abba Voyage uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's clear like they were so and proud and rightly so it's beautiful to see and then when you consider that then in like the and then, then they also then made a tiny version of the Enterprise so that they could put it next to this giant fuck off. Like I think, like in your head, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Star Trek: Motion Picture, I know you think that the Enterprise is big, but you have no idea how small it is compared to Vija. Like they they this guy said that it's like Vija's ten kilometers long, and if that is the right scale, then the Enterprise isn't a kilometer. Yeah. Uh, like it's not one tenth of it's like it looks minuscule compared to it, which is I like that scaling of things where it's like, well, it is a big thing. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's a you know it's it's the classic MCU storytelling of like, well, we know how strong the Hulk is now. Look at this guy just punching the Hulk in the face. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. the or the best yeah. use of it in the MCU, which is the shot of Cap getting up after Thanos has kicked him strapping on the yeah. shield and then you look at tiny little cap in the bottom left against Thanos' yeah. army on top of the cliff 
<laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh my god, how's how's he gonna get himself out of this one? And then and then and then Sam calls him and and you, you oh yeah, oh, it's you awesome. warm warm feelings inside. Yeah, it's one of the best moments in cinematic history. Um, to, talking um, about the effects, just to quickly jump on to another movie, something I learned that I thought was pretty interesting is that the in Wrath of Khan, uh, the the bit where they show the demonstration of how the Genesis device works. The Genesis device yeah. is a terraformer, so it's a missile that you fire at a dead planet, and then it turns the planet living. That shot is the first ever completely computer-generated shot. Really? Yeah. Oh, it has no elements that's... whatsoever um, of, of, of non-computer. Now, some people will argue that, because technically the... Um, the first CGI shot in cinema is in Westworld, and it's the viewpoint of the robots, like that kind of weird sort of, yeah. you, you'd, you'd know it, like you, you, they reused it for everything, but that kind of weird, almost pixelated viewpoint, that's the first computer CGI shot, but uh, the one in Wrath of Khan is the first one where everything that you see was made in a computer, which is, yeah. I think, pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, this was the we spoke about him before because he passed away. So like the the model work on this was Douglas Trumbull, who yeah. did also um, uh, Blade Runner. Um, and this is just this. If you want to see, like, if you if if I if I if I made a movie and I had Douglas Trumbull making fucking models of spaceships for it, yeah, I'd have fucking incre- incredibly self indulgent twenty minute fucking shots of the outside of the ship. Yeah, like um, I'd like. It's like so. It's important to know, like even like the the phones you like talking about. This, I don't think we're doing justice to how many and how long they are. Like uh, uh, Spock steals a spaceship, uh, a spacesuit, goes outside, and then like bursts, like fires himself through a door, just so we get the the like the view of him arriving in Vija, which is also what they were clearly making fun of in For Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's. Yeah, it's that's yeah, like, the devil's in that it. shot. Like when you specifically have to get rid of one of the pieces of tech that you've established that the movie has because of how you want to tell your story, it says a lot about where your priorities are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think the priorities were like, no, we spent a lot of fucking money on this, I, I, and I think they were aiming for an older, like an older audience, like because it's like people who'd been what were Star Trek fans. In say like their people who who'd watched it in syndication had been like fifteen, sixteen, and then grown up to be like by the point this came out twenty five, which is older than the audience that Star Wars was going for. Yeah, and I think that was a deliberate attempt to try and make because like in the end it does end up with like to somebody trying to essentially back like space bang, <laughs> uh, a, a big robot computer brain yeah. in space. Uh, which I don't think you'd get in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> not in a not in an official one. No, not no. Maybe in a TV show. <laughs> maybe it happened in Han Solo, and I just forgot. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I haven't seen Andor yet. Maybe oh, bangs. So maybe yeah. I've heard it's the best thing they've made. It's it might be um, the best Star Wars. Oh okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, and I just want to correct myself. Earlier. I've checked my notes. Um, uh, the the Death Star is actually the second largest ship. The the largest ship is the alien mothership from Independence Day. Nice. It's bigger than a, it's bigger than a Death Star. Uh, 
I'm assuming that a Death Star would be like a bit bigger than one of like the city ships, which are like the next one down on this list. Because I was like, I Google I basically to find out how big Vija was. Because if you go online, you can find a really great image that's like every spaceship from fiction compared for size. So you can sort of work things out. Vija's not on it because it the, the, it breaks the scale. Uh, yeah, the thing that it would just be half that and the whale probe would just be like most of this image. So you have to find like a separate image, yeah, and be like then compare that to one ship from Voyager uh, that turns <laughs> up. Uh, and again, that one's on the sh- on the sheet. But yeah, it's so it's it's crazy how like I, I it's the effects shots as well, like the energy cloud they go into, um, like like the way it disintegrates the the Klingon <laughs> ships. It's not by modern standards. It's not good special effects, but by the standards of the time, would have been genuinely special. Yeah, special effects. So like you can understand why it's done. Like oh, it's disintegrating the the uh, the Klingon ship. Now, well, now you know it's delete on a computer. Whereas then it's like no, no, no we're gonna make it have it like a light up and fade out. It's oh, it's so good. Yeah. If you if you're a proper science fiction fan, this is. Like, if you're a proper lover of, like, the Star Trek TV series, this is probably the most like that that exists in film form. Oh, I don't know about that, because I would disagree. I think that Wrath of Khan is the one that's most just, like, a bigger episode of the show. And this this is more like... Like this is what I loved about it because you you texted me about it while you were uh, while I was watching it because I was texting you and you 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 put it in a really cool way. I said this film is absolutely fascinating and you said yeah it's so weird and interesting and I think that's what I like about it. If the other movies had been like this, but maybe we just with a more interesting story, I wouldn't have been that bothered. But this is like yeah, like you know that way that people say oh we should let Wes Anderson make a Marvel movie just just to see what would happen. This is like it's it's so demonstrably Star Trek, yet so divorced from what Star Trek normally is. It's like an experiment. Yeah. It's like something. It's like it's like fucking. It's like oh, let's do Star Trek, but let's let like Kubrick make it. Yeah, it's got that element of being like oh, um, Star Trek fans like going to Star Trek conventions and dressing up as Star Trek characters. What if we give them a new uniform to dress up in that's completely different and new characters. To it. Like it's not, um, it's not doing that annoying. Look, uh, look, I love it when done well. Fan service can be okay. There is a moment in Wednesday where, due to genuine issues of the the plot, she has to click her fingers twice, and it's wonderful. Yeah, I was so happy; it brought me joy. But there's there could be an element sometimes, especially with franchises like Star Trek. Where, for example, in Picard, there is a, a a bit where the rocker that Kirk told to shut up in the voyage home turns up, and it's the same character uh, listening to a sim a song that's a reference to itself, and it's just utterly pointless. It doesn't serve any purpose. The idea that that one punk has had no character growth in forty odd years, right? It's like. <laughs> Like it, it doesn't. It doesn't. That I don't. I'm not interested. In, I think that can get in the way of telling an interesting story. Yeah. Whereas with this, they didn't give a fuck about fan service. Like, there's a conference room on board the Enterprise with like that I'd never seen before, and there's like 
that there's a bit where like he's talking to the crew about what's going on, and you could have filled that, like if that was modern day, like you every every alien in that crowd would have been someone that you could recognise from the original series. Yeah, you'd have been like, oh, that's a Gorn or like that, whatever. Like pick them all out. I you know there's, there's a bunch of fucking weird alien costumes that turn up. Literally, this is the only time they ever turn up in Star Trek. We, and I like that. Where do you think uh, that started, though? Like, we, like, is it was it the MCU putting in uh, like Easter eggs for like future movies, and that's why we maybe have an overdoing of it these days? Because you think back, and you think like, I guess, I mean, Return of the Jedi is just a remake of A New Hope, really, um, but. But, but 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 there must be other things like there must be things in like in like Tim Burton's original Batman that's like a callback to the nineteen sixty six series. But I guess Superman Superman one has the joke where he runs to a phone box, then realizes it's one of the ones that doesn't have any doors. Yeah, which is clever. I, that, like they've they've used that in the story well. It's clever and it's funny, and I get it. I I, I think that we're missing the opportunity to just blame. George Lucas. Uh, I think. I think the prequels. Um, I think the prequels have a lot of. There's a. There's a moment in the prequels. I think it's in the second one, and I don't remember exactly because I've not rewatched the prequels, and I'm never going to. Um, but there's a moment where they're like the Death Star plans are in the background. Yeah, one of the one of the aliens, one of the the Geonosians during Attack of the Clones has a little hologram that comes up yeah. and it's the Death Star. But in the, like, I was like a fan of the books, which were apparently canon. And there's like an entire, like, the designer of the weapon system on the Death Star is a recurring character who's like, uh, she thought she was making like a mining thing. And like, she's like, she's around and it's just like, to be foolish and that's when it's like, for me, it's like, I'm smart enough to know people will um, like that I've put this in there. But I'm not smart enough to realise it will actually infuriate the people who it should bring the most joy to. Um, and that's where I think it goes. That's So I'm, I'm blaming, I choose to blame George Lucas. I think little references and little nods here and there. Like the Millennium like, Falcon how... flying in in, in, in Revenge of the Sith, but you, could be, be, you can barely see it. There's no reason for the Millennium Falcon to be there. It doesn't make any sense. Like, um, There's no reason to have Anakin Skywalker be the person who made C-3PO, because it doesn't make any sense, because they're... How comes he never reacted to the like C3PO is like, oh, my boy, you know, like, <laughs> or spotting R2 or like it's it, when you, Does, yeah. Well, wait, all right, that, here's a question then: Does Vader ever see C3PO? Uh, he must do. He sees R2, definitely. <laughs> yeah, he's probably. Oh, there's that one <laughs> blue one. Um, <laughs> but no, this is the thing. I think that um. That's what, like, where I think it comes from is this uh, that like need to be like oh I, I've not seen the solo movie right but I I guarantee you there is a bit that explains like how he knows what Minox are I don't because they were in I don't you don't need that and that's the thing that I think you can get is sometimes you get bogged down in this like slavish oh we need to explain that we need to explain that it's like Star Trek the two thousand and nine one doesn't explain fuck all uh it gets just down to the business of telling its story with its characters and it has a nice a couple of moments 
that call back to, and it's fine. And I guess like if you're if you're going to see Young Kirk, if they hadn't have him had him do the Kobayashi Maru, we we would yeah. have been disappointed. Because how did he cheat? Yeah, yeah, that's the question. That makes sense. Oh, we're doing. We know this event happened at Starfleet. Come on, that's part of our story. So you can do it. That's fine. But then when you get to the second movie, it's like, oh, we're just going to reverse Wrath of Khan. And now you've got Spock savagely beating a man to death with a bit of metal. And it's like, well, that's not what Spock does. Yeah. <laughs> I read, um, just, to, just to slightly go back to Star Wars on this Star Trek podcast, I read a really interesting <laughs> article the other day that was about how um, one, of, one of the ways that movies have become simplified in recent years is that characters are not allowed to lie anymore and they specifically singled out Han Solo saying oh yeah the Millennium Falcon is the ship that made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs what do you mean you've never heard of it and they, the guy was saying from day one people were like that's really dumb a, t- a parsec is a measure of distance and not time right so then uh, I think they tried to maybe explain it in some of the books but they also just kind of left it but then in Solo, you find out that the Kessel Run isn't a fixed path. It, there's a way to do it in a shorter run to explain why Solo, why Han Solo said that to Obi-Wan Kenobi. But in the subtext of the movie, Han Solo isn't saying that to Obi-Wan Kenobi because he wants him to be impressed. Well, he is, but he's saying it because he's lying. Like, he's just, he's just making it up to make his ship sound more impressive. He's he's doing it. I always read it as he's doing it to find out if Obi Wan Kenobi's a rube. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say this, and if you then say, like, well, that apart doesn't make any sense. A past exit of this, then I'll know I can't charge you the extra five hundred credits yeah. for this trip. There's right, a, that's there's a bit in the yeah, Obi Wan show where Anakin. Uh, where Darth Vader and Obi-Wan are going at each other and Obi-Wan says something like I'm sorry that I failed you Anakin and Darth Vader says you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker I did which is like a reaction to Uh. Obi-Wan saying your dad was killed by Darth Vader but he wasn't saying that to Luke because he felt that it was true he was lying about it (laughs) from a certain point of view he didn't want to mention. Uh, I should point out at this point, like Obi Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine to keep an eye on Luke, and he knows that this kid is regularly able to bullseye Wompats in his T sixteen, right? Which means he's probably one of the greatest pilots and shots in the galaxy, right? And is fine with satiating his urge to torture and murder harmless small animals. Yeah. So maybe, maybe not the great idea to tell him that his father is the evil leader of the Empire. Don't don't tell him that. Maybe he'll go insane and you'll have to cut his fucking head off. And also, Uh, (laughs) um, a womp rat, he turns around to Biggs and says, I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home and they're not much bigger than two metres. It's a fucking, that's a tiger. It's like a bear. Why? I think it's probably an apex uh, predator on Tatooine. They're just out there taking it out. It's probably it's probably endangered. No, see, no, they were an apex predator, but then somebody, some rancors got loose, right? <laughs> and it's like that thing. You let an invasive species into it. Tatooine used to all be grass. Yeah, uh, rank, rancors, <laughs> the cats of the fucking Star Wars universe, man. Keep but your no, keep your rancor great. inside. 
because otherwise yeah, it's destroying I, the ecosystem. And yeah, it's going to be a pain in the ass to enter that letter box. But you know what? That's 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 the I, gig. That's what you get I, if you if you want a rancor to show you affection when it's an inside rancor. You're just going to have to take the sacrifice that you're going to have to be the one to deal with. It's literal shit. All right. <laughs> I'd, I'd loved just at some point any director who was like pulling up like creating the like doing a like prequel or doing something else within like some established universe to like be asked in an interview by like somebody from the nerdist I don't know or some fucking group of fucking twats um, like just have go oh so are you going to address the controversy around uh, such and such uh, where so and so said this and just have them go yeah I just think they were lying uh uh, so no, uh, I'm not gonna. Why does the character say that uh, instead of saying this for the same reason that I've said a lot of shit that I am not? <laughs> movie characters aren't allowed to lie, but people promoting movies are. Because like there is, we've all we've all seen trailers for Marvel films that had shit in them that wasn't in the fucking movie, right? But they they can lie. That's fine because they do it because you people are simpletons. Uh, and like you need is like oh is Hulk going to be in the movie I won't go to the movie but Hulk go oh Hulk's there so yeah so they have to explain to you in a trailer no Hulk's not here yeah <laughs> for plot based reasons but Dumb. no uh, anyway and I, I, I do make you right this is a, such a wonderfully weird not just like I was talking I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were saying uh, something that I completely agree with which is if the first attempt by Nintendo to make a Mario movie was the Mario movie that is coming out now. No one would ever make the weird Mario movie that <laughs> yeah. we got in the 80s. Yeah. Like, like, like there's, sometimes you have to be the first... If you're the first person to do something, you can have a choice between playing it safe or doing something weird. And you should always do something weird. Because if it doesn't work, someone can always play it safe later. Yeah. But if you play it safe and that does work, no one ever gets to do the weird thing. <laughs> one of the... So Superman Returns is the result of, as you probably well know, like decades of them trying to do another Superman movie and getting yeah. in Kevin Smith and getting in Tim Burton and all these cats. And Aronofsky was allegedly going to do it, right? <laughs> but... One of the ideas was by J.J. Abrams, and it was called Superman Flyby. And one of the things that it was going to add to the Superman canon is that I think there wasn't going to be a, so a Fortress of Solitude. But at the end of the first act of Superman Flyby, Clark Kent was going to die, and he was going to go to Kryptonian heaven and meet his dad, and that was going to be how he figured out, oh, I'm a Kryptonian, that's why I'm really super strong and I can fly and things like that. And I think his dad was like a cop on Krypton or something. Um, right. But Jor-El was just like a completely different dude. And that sounds and that, that sounds bonkers, right? But I'd watch that because that's weird. I, I like it yeah. when they do weird takes on things. And you're right, no one is ever going to do that anymore because they're, yeah. they're like, so beholden to the source material now. There's a, there was a rumour floating around for quite a while that there was going to be a sequel to Gladiator. Yeah. Where Maximus Decimus Meridian finds himself in the ancient Roman afterlife, right? And as far as I can tell, the plot was basically the original God of War games. Uh, and I 
I like, and he was going to like be like a recurring character who turns up at like various like all wars through history, yeah. and it was going to bring him up to the modern day. And I'm just like, yeah, 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 do it, do it. Like Predator exists because as some writers wrote down as a joke, Rocky fights an alien. <laughs> uh, yeah, it comes out of that. Like I want movies, like like Mark. I I'm going to tell you what the, the three movies that I am most excited about seeing. Uh, right now, right? Yeah, I am kind of interested in seeing the Mario movie. I've, I've been waiting for it for years. I do want to see it. But the next two are Cocaine Bear and Violent Night. I saw right? Violent Night. Is it is it as good as it? It's pretty, it it's pretty good. I don't, I don't even care because this is great. This is something I've realised about myself quite a long time ago. Is that I would rather watch. Here's a good. Here's the thing. All good movies are kind of I'm not denigrating great movies there are masterpieces out there that will make you feel things that touch your soul in a way that it can't be done through any other medium but every good movie is sort of good in the same way yeah whereas every bad movie some like, like bad movies can all be bad very differently yeah and I think that's what this is like I wouldn't necessarily recommend Star Trek the motion picture to anyone I yeah. I'd have to I'd have to sit down and go uh, do I think you should watch Star Trek the motion picture right first of all you need to complete this questionnaire yeah uh, and if you give certain answers to certain questions I could say that yes you will get something from this but it's fascinating to just like watch and go try and unpick and go well why'd they do that like why why is there like like you said like they go into the warp drive kicks in fifteen minutes of slow mo for no reason? Yeah, was that going to be a recurring thing? Was that going to be something that the warp drive was going to do every time they used it from then on? Were they actually dealing with the concept of like time dilation and faster than light travel? Like it's it's bonkers. Um, my my que- my my one question on the questionnaire would be, how do you feel about Blade Runner? And if they went, oh, boring, slow, I'd be like, don't watch the motion picture. Like. Yeah, don't watch this. Yeah. My, 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 my first question would be, what do you think about Blade Runner? If they said, yeah, I like it, I'm a big fan of it. Um, that's like, oh, we're going down the right path. Then the follow-up question is, are you familiar at least with the concept of the movie Silent Running? And does it? And if the answer is yes, and it appeals to you, this is a movie you should watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This exists. There is a. I like the idea that there is a timeline out there where this was hugely successful, and like Star Trek's a very different thing. Because I, I make you right about um, Rafa Khan being the most like an episode, but I, I think that they're both very like different types of Star Trek episodes. Yeah. Like Rafa Khan is the most like a like oh it's a bit of an adventurous one, whereas this is more like the oh no we're going to ask existential question about the nature of the human brain and comprehension and the exploration of space and why we do it yeah can can a computer that learns to think learn to the, think outside of the box yeah like no matter I mean, how, is, there, is there a way to be the smartest thing in the entire universe and still be lacking in some sort of intelligence that we as human beings consider to be not even just part of everyday life but just an essential part of existence yeah 
another question is is can a, a space probe be programmed so that it doesn't know its own name and somehow names itself by reading the side of itself even though it couldn't possibly do that yeah uh, <laughs> um apparently as well the the there was a lot of script problems on the motion picture to the point where they went into it with only the first two acts and Vija being the Voyager 6 spacecraft came about near the end of shooting. <laughs> what? It's clearly, it's the only, it's one of the only, it's the, it's, it's, it's one of the only sets they had to build. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know if, I'd love to know if Carl Sagan was like, if any point they reached out to him about this, because he was involved in the Voyager program. Because I imagine he would have just gone, Everything you've described is scientifically impossible. <laughs> I would love, like, I want, if I could have an ideal dinner party where I can invite anyone from history, right? My, my man JC, right? G- Jesus Christ is coming. Bi- bi- biblical or historical, whatever. I'm sure they're both fascinating, right? Um, but the other two would be Carl Sagan and Gene Roddenberry, because I reckon they complicated <laughs> each other. And me and me and Jesus, he'll just be topping up the wine as we as we just watch the two of them go at it. Because <laughs> they obviously both come at things from the same perspective of yes, we should be exploring and we should be looking at things, and isn't the unknown really interesting? But I bet they fucking hated each other. Yeah, because I'm willing to bet that like they they've got that to a degree, and like um like you know, they get on right up until the point they they get on very well right up until the very point where they really didn't. Where like, yeah. you know, like Gene Roddenberry going, all of us should come together, put our everything aside. Carl Sagan's like, yeah, no, no, we should combine our forces, and people from different nation states and different ethnicities should be allowed to like p- combine their efforts and go out into space. And Carl Sagan's yeah, and and then Gene Roddenberry's even the women. <laughs> whoa, 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 what do you mean even? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and Carl Sagan's like, imagine, imagine a two-dimensional universe, right? Imagine it's a flat sheet of paper, and there's a person in it, and the little person, he's a little square, and imagine the way that he sees the world, like he would have no concept of the third dimension, and Gene's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are the circle ones women, because they have tits? <laughs> Look, look, we just we we wrote the script. We just go. What's a black hole? Nobody knows. Carl Sagan's like, no, we we, we do, we do, we got that. Got, that's 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 why that's why Stephen Hawking's got a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he worked all that out. Uh, what's in there? <laughs> Big library. <laughs> Big library in Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Is Matthew McConaughey? It doesn't matter. It doesn't exist yet. <laughs> uh, it does in the black hole, and that's what fifth dimensionality is, my friend. It's does Matthew McConaughey exist whether you believe in him or not? That's the re- that's the real question you need to be asking yourself. <laughs> if Matthew McConaughey got sucked into a black hole, I still find the thing that would be the most interesting about it is for some reason it would really annoy Matthew Perry that it wasn't Keanu Reeves. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would? What is that? What would? Every time somebody dies, he's like, "Ah, oh, damn you, Keanu." <laughs> Oh. What would you do yeah. with infinite Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> Where would you put it? Well, I'd, I'd get him. I'd get him back for season two of True Detective because uh, <laughs> yeah. it went downhill after he 
Um, oh, oh, one thing I did want to point out. Did you notice that the music at the end of the uh, of the film um, that was playing over the credits did sound um, incredibly like the Ghostbusters thing? Yes, a little bit. <laughs> oh, that, that was a thing that this film had. Talking about old-timey tropes that this film had, this film had an overture. Oh, Yeah. What's that about? Yeah, it does. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. I welcome it. I, I, in fact, I wish more films had overtures, but this film has a. I, I was genuinely worried that my telly was broke because there was just <laughs> there's just about three minutes of music on a black screen, and then you get yeah. the Paramount logo. Yeah, it's weird, but then like, is the the music's good? Yeah, the music's really good. This, this yeah. is the best. This might be the best science fiction soundtrack. Other Again, than Blade Runner, it, it's the not being beholden to having to do. Like you couldn't it, doing a Star Trek movie now would be like if the next Indiana Jones movie he did he didn't put on the hat. Yeah, right. It's like it's the defining characteristic you have to put in there. But then, but then they were like, is the music a big deal, or is it just the music that we had on the show? Fuck it, let's do something else. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you say that. So Jerry Goldsmith, who created the, the tunes for this, um, you can actually hear part of his unused score. And they had Ooh. Gene and the director, in, and it's the the, the, the Enterprise shot, the, 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 the 25-minute shot of the Enterprise's hull. Um, and, and Kirk and uh, Scott are in the space van. And the... Um, the music that you hear it's quite good it's very similar to what it is but apparently Gene and Roy Thomas was the director stepped back and said this is good but it's not Star Trek and it it was because James not James Horner he he was another guy but because Jerry Goldsmith was he said he, he, he said oh I get it because he was writing music about a ship at sea Oh right! Okay. Rather than a ship in space, so that he went back and then the next day he created the the, the score, which it's fair enough. It's good. Oh. It's good. It's good direction. Like, yeah, I, do, I mean, I love I love stuff like that. Like the fact that the movie the hate the hateful eight by Tarantino basically only exists because he found out that Anikio Morricone wrote uh, an entire score for the thing that never got used yeah. and he was basically like well I'm going to make a western with it <laughs> which is I like that because that's the kind of thing I'd do if I found like a tin that was like this is an unused and he came right with a code score yeah okay fuck it I'll make a movie yeah. <laughs> I'll win an Oscar for best soundtrack I, I, uh... <laughs> I must have told you this story a hundred times I've definitely I've almost certainly told it on this podcast before but when I first moved into London one of the guys I started working with was at film school and he told me that his mate made they for their final class project they made a short film and Andy Nyman was in it which is pretty cool it was like a little 15 minute short and uh, they needed someone to do the music so his pal went fuck it we're getting John Williams so he emailed John Williams to be like I've made this little short <laughs> never told me this story can you uh, <laughs> can you do me the music for it and John Williams and his people got back to them pretty quickly just being like no one ever asks John Williams to do this. So, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm <laughs> So there is a John Williams score out there that no one will ever hear. Because it's just in this dude's 15-minute short presentation for fucking That's, film school. Oh, yeah, I love that. Because like, John Williams is like, yeah, I've 
So it's not like I was doing anything else today. Yeah. 15 minutes of music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's amazing. That's up there with the like the fact that you can buy like is it Stephen King's website you can go to and you can just drop in $5 and buy the rights to any of his short stories. Oh, so uh, yeah, so that's um it's it's a it's the dollar baby. So it's you you go on his website and there's a list of his books and short stories that are available. And if it's yeah. generally only students that he really gives them to, but if you're a student, you can say, "I want to buy the rights to this." He'll be like, "Yep, you can have it for a dollar." It's like Frank Darabont like was one like, of them. Yeah, he's Frank Darabont. The the check that Frank Darabont wrote um, Stephen King for um, the Shawshank Redemption has um, is just uh, he's never cashed it. And he uh, when um, the movie was released, uh, he sent it to Frank Darabont framed. Uh, and it just says, um, it's got written on it, um, in case you ever need bail money. <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, in, the, in the mid-90s, uh, when Tarantino was, was, was the hot thing, him and Robert Rodriguez were good pals. And Robert Rodriguez done Tarantino is in Desperado um, and he stars in it uh, he doesn't star in it he's he's in it and <laughs> Robert Rodriguez I think wrote the music for something like Jackie Brown or something like the incidental music and they yeah. paid each other a, a dollar to do it <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, <laughs> yeah um, I'm going to say though I like yeah, I, this movie I did. I, I quite like the, the, the black screen at the end and the text. Just the human adventure is just beginning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which it had like it's mental to think that this movie shouldn't have existed. So they had no idea even when they were making this. They, as far as they were concerned, this was like the last hurrah, like a final farewell to Star Trek. Yeah, like oh, we never got Phase Two off the ground. So we're just going to do this movie. Um, nothing, and, and and as well, this movie did not do well financially. No. Like it, it didn't do like it wasn't a guaranteed like we're going to get a sequel. This is like oh yeah, we, so this is the last Star Trek you'll ever see. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I yeah. I I. It's it's it's. I'm. I don't think the franchise would have survived this being the direction that it went in. Mm. But I'm very glad this movie exists. Yeah. Um, it's, I I want to watch it again, stoned. Yeah. I wanna I wanna get high as fuck. Yeah. Uh, and I I would if I don't know. I I I have the joy in of of living in London, which is that there's the Prince Charles Cinema uh, near me. And I have never once had an email from them saying, hey, we're showing Star Trek the motion picture. They have, though. Uh, <laughs> they definitely have shown it. Yeah. Because I, rem- I remember it. seeing it was on. So I used to pop in all the time. Yeah. I'm, it's, I'm, the next time it's on, I'm going to go see it. Yeah. On the big screen. Give me a shout. I might and, come down. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not. I'm, that's the thing. I've, if you don't go down, I'm going alone. Yeah. Because I, I I'll bring some, I'll bring some gummy bears. Yeah, I'm not subjecting another human being to this experience. No. <laughs> it's just going, what is this? Yeah. It's nonsense. You're either going to love this or out. you're going to hate it. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe both. Yeah. Because like, on, an, on an intellectual level, there's so much wrong with this movie that I don't 
Like I could I can sit down and go for the same reason as like I love Blade Runner, but I'll never recommend it to anyone because I and love Blade Runner, but this is the movie I've fallen asleep watching the most. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I fully get if someone's like, oh no, it's not my kind of my cup of tea. I'd never recommend it. But yeah, oh god, I had I, I had a good time watching it. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Yeah, couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. We we I think that's like it. Yeah, we say we will return to our regularly scheduled program in the new year, uh, in which we get to see uh, the first episode of the good series of TNG, where we answer the question: What likes to see stars explode and doesn't give a crap and has two thumbs? Bob Kelso. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, have you got anything you want to plug that you've got coming up, Mark? No, not really. No, to be honest. No, I mean neither. No. no. Oh, well. I might be doing a, a work in progress show in London soon, but I have to sort some stuff out. So Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope he's hope he's enjoyed it. Uh, in conclusion, yeah. watch Star Trek The Motion Picture if you feel like it. If you don't, don't bother. That's, yeah. I mean, not your dad. <laughs> Such a, such a weird recommendation it's like if this is the kind of movie that sounds like the sort of thing that you might enjoy you might enjoy this sort of thing yeah exactly yeah <laughs> oh well cheers for listening bye bye the Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.